Part seven, and I'll conclude next week, uh, will be the eighth and final part of Warring with the Gods. Today, part seven, overcoming the God of pleasure. Let me just tell you, the antidote to the God of pleasure is seeking righteousness. Write that down, please. It's seeking righteousness. Um, we've done this series, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. says this. We've done this series in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We've been exposing the tactics of the devil, the God of this world and the spirit that functions in the world and gets into, into our, um, and influences us, I should say. We are not unaware of his schemes. Deuteronomy 6, 14. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. So um, God to the Hebrew children saying, hey, there are other gods. Make sure you stay true to the, to the true God. Don't follow false gods. We've been examining what is the application for us in a modern world. What's a false god look like? Power, possessions, pleasure. Deuteronomy eleven sixteen. This applies to us in the room. For sure. Be careful. Young man, middle-aged man, older man, young woman, middle-aged woman, older woman, seasoned people. Listen, be careful or you will be enticed. You are not exempt from this God is saying. You will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. We're warring with these gods from a position of victory that Jesus has provided for us. The God, of, the God of power we see is Baal, and we looked at this, and when we give up on God's wisdom and God's ways and settle for our own ways and our own wisdom, we give in to the God of power. And the solution that we've given to you scripturally to the God of power, which he seeks to control and manipulate and coerce and exert um, pressure on, the, the, the biblical solution for the God of power We've unpacked this and looked at different places in Scripture where it shows up in the Garden of Eden, Jesus' temptation, and the, and the epistles, that the solution for the God of power is to honor God with your time, resources, and energy through the Sabbath. We looked completely at that. Honoring the Sabbath was the antidote and is the antidote for the God of power overcoming. Honoring um, God with your resources is how you overcome the God of possessions, and the way that we do that is through tithing and through generosity. In fact, um, out on, on the um, information table are these little notebooks. Really, they are meant to track your journey, but they ask you um, some questions and guide you through putting God first. And I know a lot of people have an issue with the tithe, and um, I do too from this respect, that if, if, if you've heard the principle of the tithe preached from a religious mindset. A religious mindset is fear, manipulation, and control to make you feel like if you don't do this, God is going to, to get you. If, you. if you look at the tithe as paying off the mob, you're gonna have a distorted view of the principles of the kingdom. You know? That's what some people think. They, they think, well, I gotta pay tribute to, to the Godfather so that he doesn't take out my kneecaps. Or whatever, right? And we look, and here's the other problem that we have is it's taught through fear, manipulation, and control, and that's religious, and that doesn't work. Kingdom works, and the and and what happens is we think this: you you think I'm going to give ten percent of my money 
away to the church or to something else, and, and you've highlighted a problem and a challenge that you don't even know. You've taken ownership of something that doesn't belong to you. You say, I, I, you think I'm gonna give 10% of my money? That's an owner mindset. When you're not an owner, I'm not an owner, I'm a steward. So you flip the script in your thinking and come over to the, to the way the Bible teaches it is this, it all belongs to God. I get to keep 90. And he asked for 10% in return. That is a healthier view of, of this concept. And so that's how you overcome the God of possessions today. And we, we get trapped by the God of possessions when we trust ourselves more than we trust God. We get trapped by the God of pleasure when we follow our feelings instead of our faith. The antidote for the God of pleasure is walking in righteousness. And so... Um, I want us to look together at one more time quickly at 2 Timothy chapter three. And pleasure, as you're turning there or looking there, pleasure is this. The God of pleasure says, if it, feel, if it feels good, do it. Follow your emotions. If you like this, then give in to that. And, and that's, I just submit to you that that's really, that's really not good for us as a people. And God, and God sees that. Uh, pleasure is the preoccupation and obsession with the pursuit of our own comfort, happiness, or pleasure. And the antidote is walking in righteousness. Second Timothy chapter three, Paul writing to Timothy says this, for know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. That's right now, that's here where we are. Um, I had a conversation with a young man recently. And uh, in his 20s, and he said, I'm very concerned. What kind of shocked me, to be honest with you, because I think if we're not careful, we'll typecast certain ages and gener a generation of people as being disinterested, when really they're much more spiritually attuned than we can give them credit for at times. They're like, I'm really concerned. They said, I'm really concerned. Like, I feel like we're living in the end times. I know you're a preacher. What do you think about that? I said, I I we are. There's no question. I'm not wondering. He's like, I'm really concerned about that. So I gave him a resource and he's, he said, I just feel disconnected from God. And here's the thing. People are asking spiritual questions. They just don't think that believers in the church and pastors have answers to those spiritual questions. So they quit asking. We're gonna be doing some things, I just want you to know this, as we're warring with these gods as a church from a position of victory. Um, Pastor Larry has taken on the assignment of some some um, um, initiatives to make the gospel more prominent in our region through ads and different things like that. Maybe some of you have heard the radio spot and I, some of you have told me you heard it and so on and so forth, that's awesome. But we're also gonna be very aggressive in, in um, getting the word out to the entire world that we can. We're working on getting on some secular radio stations as well. And I tell you this because they might shock you when you hear the language that I use in the broadcast. Because I need to speak a certain language to reach a certain people. Paul said you become all things to all people that you might win them to Christ. You do that without compromising your own convictions and your own beliefs. But if I go to Italy and only speak English, I'm gonna limit the people who understand what I'm saying. The same thing is true when I go out into a world that doesn't understand our dialect of Christianese if I don't speak plainly, we have to speak plainly the gospel of the kingdom, right? And so um, 
We live in last days, perilous times, and we're gonna be aggressive and we're gonna go for it because we just don't have time to waste, y'all. We live in, thank you, that's amazing. I'm so overwhelmed with the love. I appreciate it, thank you. I'm teasing. For, listen, 2 Timothy chapter three, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. It's not gonna get better for everyone. It's gonna get nasty. That's why you can be assured that when the world gets dark and we're light, we say, hey, get out of the kingdom that you're functioning in and come out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. They'll come running. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than the lovers of God. Rather than. God is not opposed to your comfort, happiness, or pleasure. He's opposed to you elevating those things above your love for him. And so, how does that shift? Matthew chapter five, verse six says this. Blessed, everybody say blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. The words hunger and thirst, those verbs are in the infinitive tense, which means they are for infinity, they never end. There isn't a time where you stop hungering and stop thirsting. It's an ongoing process for forever. And this is what he says, when you do that, when you continue to hunger and thirst for the right things, you'll be filled. The, the challenge is when we hunger for the things that won't satisfy, and that leaves us empty. Emptiness is the result of us pursuing self-focused things. So if you feel empty at the end of the week, check up on what you've been chasing because what you've been chasing isn't adding to fulfillment unless it's the result of you hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for the right things of God. And we'll look at that uh, more completely. So making um, righteousness in the kingdom of God as a priority is the antidote for the God of pleasure. So let me read to you Matthew chapter six, and I'm gonna come back to Matthew five in a bit. Matthew chapter six, verse 33. This is the punctuation of a, of a teaching that Jesus does. And I'm gonna back up and get the context in a minute, but I wanna define some terms, and I'm gonna move rather rapidly. Matthew six, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The word seek means this. It means to pursue, to study, to explore, to understand, to learn, to consider, to desire to know, to have a passion for, to be diligently dedicated to, to be diligently dedicated to and to preoccupy yourself with. Everyone in this room is familiar with the word seek. And we do it all the time, but it isn't always connected to the right, next word, priority. We know how to be dedicated to something. It's coming to be fall. Some of us are gonna be dedicated to our favorite sports team. It's, it's, getting, it's getting ready for um, Christmas, 
I know some people are already getting ready for Christmas. It wilds and weirds me out, but it's happening, and, and people are going to be dedicated to Christmas. They're going to passionately pursue that. I promise you there's someone in this room who, who has been in this room already or someone watching online. They have played Christmas music in August and July. I promise they have, but why? they're passionately pursuing it. We know what it means, but then, but then when we get to the text of the Bible, <laughs> I know what we do. We play dumb. What does that mean? How do I do that? We had to do with all these things that we've prioritized, but the thing that Jesus said to seek and prioritize, we lose our motivation in. Every guy who's ever had an attraction to a girl knows the word seek. Every person who's ever been hungry after church understands the word seek. Some of you talked about it on the way in. Where are we going for lunch? Some of you already have a standing decision on where you go. Why? Because you're seeking it. You're pursuing it. You've considered it. You've studied it. You're dedicated to it. You're passionately pursuing it. We know how to seek. So let's not play dumb with God and act like we don't know how to do what he's asking us to do because we know how to do it, right? People do what people want to do. That's a fact. I'll never forget years and years ago, um, I, was, I was in a session and there was, a, there was a, an individual who'd been abusive to his spouse at years and years ago. And um, it required for me and some others to get involved. And um, I have zero tolerance for um, domestic abuse. I have zero tolerance for it. Zero. None. None. And I was talking to the individual and uh, I said, why, do you do, why are you doing this? He's, I, I, ju I just can't help it. Really? That's your answer? I bet you if I get the starting offensive line for the Dallas Cowboys in this office with me, and they make you fired up mad, I bet you can help it and not hit them. People do what people think they can get away with doing. And that's what he was saying. I do it because I can get away with it. I can, I, can, I can get away with putting my hands on this five foot, nothing, barely a hundred and something pound lady, but if I surround you with a bunch of six foot six, 260 guys, I bet you control yourself. Why? Because people do what people want to do. And so we finished that and put an end to it and you know, so on and so forth. I'm saying that because, because there are times where we make excuses that may not be as extreme as the one I presented to you and not as vile and destructive. But you may sit here and say, well, I'm not as bad as the wife abuser. That's the level of standard you've given for your life to live up to? It reminds me of when my kids would mess up and we would correct them and they would say, well, I could be out doing drugs and sleeping around. I'm like, well, excuse me, you want a cookie because you're not sleeping around doing drugs in a Pennington house? That's what you think is the standard here? Like you want me, to, oh, you are doing so good, so good. We applaud weak things and weak expectations, ladies and gentlemen. That is not the standard for the believer. Like we are to live a life that's higher than that. So we seek, we know how to do it. <laughs> and number two, he says, seek first. What is that? That's priority. What's a priority? 
A priority is the principal thing. It's putting, I'm moving quickly, right? It's putting first, that's why you need to get the notes on the QR code. Putting first things first, establishing the most important thing, primary focus, placing an order of importance. Priority is what you place the highest value on. Priority is what is the first among everything else. Priority is the driving force of your life. The priorities you choose today will control you tomorrow and you're in charge of those things. Now, this is where we need to get really um, introspective and search our souls. We have to acknowledge, I think, that there are times where our life is not governed by the seek first principle. We are not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we're seeking other things. So, the, so, so the, the beginning of that is right standing with God is, let's use a Bible word for us, to repent. And repent is not reserved for the person that you've labeled as whatever violator of God's law. It's when, watch this, I sinned on Friday. Josh Pennington sinned on Friday. Shocking, perhaps. I'm gonna show you how it came and what it came in the form of. Remember I talked to you about Glenda? I was talking to Glenda and I had a distinct urging that I knew was God because it wasn't me because I didn't wanna do it. And the thought was, pay for Glenda's groceries. And I didn't do it. You wanna know why I didn't do it? Because I saw the freaking total. <laughs> Glenda's food budget was big. And I backed off, I'm like, ah, I'm not doing that. Good to see you, Glenda. Glad I said hi to you, bless you. I helped her load her groceries on the thing. I, 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 I hope the little lady crossed the road kind of thing. Good job. Let's go. That's not the standard. What the standard was, was what I had in my heart. And what I had in my heart to do was to pay for the groceries, and I didn't do that. And so I violated the, I violated the one who leads, guides, and directs me from the inside because I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to do it. People do what people want to do. So when I got to the car, I was moved, and I was like, oh, ugh, I messed up. Josh, this is the very, very... This is a very extreme thing. No, this is the principles of the gospel of the kingdom. This is the level that we need to attain to. Not did we get to church and did we not cuss somebody out on the way there. And if you did that, fine, whatever. Ask God to forgive you and go on. It reminds me of the story years and years ago when we were in our very first building and Usher came to me right before the service started and said, Josh, we got a problem. I said, what is the problem? He said, um, I flipped somebody off on the way to church today. I'm like, no, okay, it's okay, man. Let's just pray about it and, and just ask God to forgive you. He's like, no, you don't, you don't understand. I'm like what? They're at church today as a guest. I greeted them. <laughs> like, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> what's the priority? So I got in the car and I said, God, I'm, I'm sorry. 
Give me another chance. Bring it back around so that I can do the thing that you had on your mind for me to do. And here's what I know is gonna happen. I'm gonna see her again at a grocery store and I'm gonna be behind her in line and her groceries are gonna be more expensive than the last time. <laughs> and watch, that's a gift to me. Why is it a gift? Because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, number one. But number two, whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. God's getting me involved in his economic system and getting me to tap into the abundance that he's given me so that I can... Okay, thank you so much. Don't clap and go out of here and do nothing. Do something with the inner witness that you have. That is the governor of the kingdom of God giving you instructions. Right, so what is the priority? So man, men have priorities, human beings have priorities, and God has priorities. So what you place the highest value on is determined by what you think you need the most. And... Um, let me just jump ahead and say something that I, that I have written here. Man's principal problem in life is identifying what is, in a, what is the most important problem. And man's biggest need is knowing what man's biggest need is. So what's the main priority? That's the thing we need to know. And um, how many of you in school remember being taught about Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Anybody remember? Right, so um, Maslow came up with this hierarchy of needs. If you look it up, there's a pyramid from the bottom going up, base needs to higher levels of needs. And what Maslow does is he exposes the needs of humanity and by doing so shows us how we prioritize our life. Watch, number one need is physiolo our physiological needs. These are biological requirements for human survival. Air, food, drink, shelter, clothes, warmth, sleep, sex, those types of things. Those are the needs, okay? Um, the second level of need is safety needs. Once we have our physiological needs met and satisfied, then the need for safety and security begin. So, um, so the first need is food, clothes, shelter. And we're, and we're driven by that priority. We're driven by that need. We go for that thing. And something that interesting happens is, as you have that need provided, you can stay stuck in any one of these levels of need, as I've observed. You can stay stuck in that level of need for food. The poor man has a need for food, just like the rich man. The rich man, his food is just more expensive than the poor man's. When you're poor, you look for anything you can. And as you gain and attain, your needs just become more expensive and you chase them. So when we were in Bible school, lots of ramen noodles. Anybody know what those ramen, anybody know what ramen noodles are? They used to be like you could get a hundred of them for a dollar. I don't know what it was, but it was like, it was ridiculous. And then it was peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And I mean, when we were raising four kids and, 
and, and we had no resources. We were, we were investing in this church. We went into debt personally um, over this church as we were just believing God and, and doing everything we knew to do. And I mean, we'd have, we, I mean, there was lots of times where we had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. There, there were times where we had peanut butter and no jelly. There were times when we had jelly and no peanut butter. There were times we had peanut butter and jelly and no bread. Just put it on your hand and lick it, I suppose. I don't know what you do, but... But at watch, you all do this. I went so long feasting on ramen noodles and didn't have to eat ramen noodles anymore. I'm not eating ramen noodles anymore. You got hamburger that's like almost turning green at Walmart because that's all you can afford at the time and your needs go up. And so now when you elevate up, then it's like, well, no, I don't want that. I don't want ground beef. I don't want hamburger anymore. I want filet mignon. Can you see how within that one area of need and priority, we stay stuck and we just chase? You got your purse at Kohl's, then you graduate to Fossil, then you get to Coach, then you get to Gucci, then you get to Louis Vuitton, and I don't know what's above Louis Vuitton, but I'm sure there's something. Can you see how you just escalate? You just, you chase, you chase, you chase. And all the while, you've forgotten the priority of the kingdom and you're prioritizing the needs as you see them. So then, so then you got your needs, you got your house, you got your food, you got your clothes. And the next thing that Maslow says you need is safety. So you buy your house and you put a fence around it. You buy insurance, get a security system, a dog, and buy a gun because you want to protect it. Get insurance on it. The third level is love and belonging. You, want to, you got your food, you got your clothes, you got your shelter, you got, you got your insurance on it, you've got it protected, now you want to share it with someone. It's going up, the needs are going up. And this is what we, he, he, he exposes exactly what man prioritizes. The next one is esteem. Now we need to feel good about ourselves with the people that we love in the house that's secure with the food and clothing and warmth that we have. We want to feel good. We want self-esteem, we want self-worth. The last one is self-actualization, which is the highest level this is self-fulfillment. This is where you get personal growth, personal development, uh, wanting to grow spiritually, so on and so forth. Everyone in this room right now is motivated by these needs. And whichever one is already satisfied, you'll find that you've moved on to the next one, if you have, and you're focusing on it, and that's the place that you sit in right now, and that's the most important thing to you today. And what have you done? You've sought, you're seeking, and you're prioritizing based on man's needs. But I need to tell you something. That significance was not totally encapsulated in what Maslow presented to us. In fact, um, there was a man about 2,000 years ago who wrote a list of things before Maslow. His name is Jesus. And he gives you God's priority for man and what you ought to seek. Remember Matthew chapter 6? Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What are the things? What are the stuff? What, what is Jesus talking about? He exposes ahead of time all the needs. Matthew 6, verse 25 says this. We just got done talking about you can't serve two masters. He's leading out of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Verse 25, therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life. Well, what things, Jesus, in my life shouldn't I worry about? 
the things Maslow told us years and years and years later that we would find is most important. He goes on and he says, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, your body, what you'll put on, your clothing. He's like, this is what you're gonna wanna chase. He tells us exactly ahead of time what we're going to wanna seek and prioritize. And he says, don't do that. Flip the script, change the list. You're gonna wanna chase all these things and prioritize all these things. He says, look at the birds. They're taken care of in verse 26. Um, don't worry in verse 27. Um, 28, don't worry about clothing. Look at the flowers in the field. They are clothed and they don't toil and they don't spin. Verse 30, now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not, will he not much more clothe you? Won't he do better for you than he does for the flowers and the birds? Of course he will. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, of course you will is my words. It's the implied answer. Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Back to Maslow. What do you eat? What do you drink? Or what are we gonna wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. The way in the world system prioritizes all these things, I need to give you a different path. Now, if you're not careful, you'll interpret this through a, a deceptive, distorted lens and think that life is all about the stuff. And just so he's clear, and just so I'm clear, he says all the Gentiles seek these things. The God of pleasure that's active in the world, the God of possessions that's active in the world, he talked about this when he was tempted. The God of power that's active in the world, the Gentiles seek all this stuff that these gods are imposing on them. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. He canceled Maslow's list and gave you a much simpler two-step. Seek the kingdom and seek righteousness. That's the answer. When you seek those two things, that's the answer. Let's flip it. Forget the list and pursue these two things. Now, to understand this thoroughly, and I'm gonna end the series next week with principles of the kingdom that I need you to understand as we end the series. But I need you to understand something about a kingdom. Because he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Um, we do ourselves a disservice when we only know what it is to live in a democratic republic, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, where voting is the way in which supposedly decisions are made and things are enacted, right? Um, we, we, we take that and um, we impose that in our life as a believer. We impose it on the body of Christ and each other, and we think that if we can just get enough people voting like we do, that moves God. Either check mark in a booth voting or watch. We do this, ladies and gentlemen, with prayer. If we can just get enough people praying about this, there's a belief that if we can, if we can get a, if we can get enough people praying about this, then God will be forced to move if we just get over a certain number on the prayer list. Do you know it doesn't matter how many people are praying? If you're praying outside of God's will, God is not obligated to move based on your number of people involved. Amen. 
And the little number of people doesn't deter on the opposite end either. If just two or three, just two of you would agree on earth as touching anything. Well, you know what? As a married person, I got two, me and Ange, that's it. Thank you. There's a, there's a word that is foreign to us as Americans as it relates to the governmental system that we're a part of, and it's the simple word obey. Obey is not a part of the American vocabulary as it relates to their governmental structure. Americans don't obey their government. The last two and a half years freaking prove that. You don't obey a president. So when you have that locked up, this is such a problem in the Christian thinking and in the church world because we get so locked up in our mind about this that we think Jesus is our elected president. He is the anointed king and creator of all things. He is not voted for, he is obeyed, period. He is obeyed. And the thing about a king is this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Why would all these things be added to me in accordance with my obedience? Because in a kingdom, a king, unlike the president, no president, past, present, or future, I, I hate to bust this bubble, and it, it, it might sound un-American. I don't mean it to be that way at all. I think it's just a statement of reality. No president is gonna care whether or not you pay your bills or not. Past, present, or future, whichever one your favorite one is. They don't, they don't care if Josh and Angie make their mortgage payment this month. They don't care if Josh and Angie have groceries. Yeah, there's a whole big push and people might say that they, they want you to believe that. But at the end of the day, in a governmental system like ours, in a capitalistic society, you are on your own. You better get out there and work and make it happen. If you don't work, you don't eat. I mean, it's like you, go, you gotta go for it, right? In a kingdom, it's different. And as soon as you stepped into the kingdom of God, something changed. In a kingdom, the, the king takes personal responsibility for every one of his subjects. The well-being, welfare, and prosperity of the citizens of a kingdom are the king's responsibility. He takes ownership for it. That's why Jesus can say, when you seek the kingdom that I'm representing and you seek my righteousness, all these things will be added to you because you've just committed to being a kingdom of God citizen and the moment you do that, the king takes responsibility for your every need. That's amazing. That's an amazing reality for us. That that's what you stepped into. That he takes personal responsibility, but watch. The king is responsible as long as you stay attached to his kingdom and his law. And the moment you rebel against his kingdom and his law, you're on your own. We rebelled, revolted hundreds of years ago 
to a monarchy, didn't we? Remember American history, the American Revolution? What was it? We were revolting against the monarchy. We rebelled against the king and won. Now we were left to build a nation all on our own. That king was no longer responsible. Before he was, he might have been doing a poor job, which led to us revolting, but that's, that's, the, that's the thing that happened. Let me give you a little interesting tidbit. The word rebel in the Hebrew is a three-letter word spelled S-I-N, quite literally. And the moment you rebel and say, I'm not going to obey the king, he doesn't war against you, like in the Revolutionary War with Great Britain and the colonies. He says, go ahead and seek what the Gentiles seek. Go ahead and do that. Because you've stepped outside of my kingdom law, I'm no longer in position to meet those needs and have everything else added to you because you've made the decision to step outside of the kingdom. Matthew chapter six, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He's made it, made it quite simple. Seek the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter five, verse six, I'm gonna finish with this. I'm gonna move as quickly as I can because I'm, I'm out of time. Matthew chapter five, verse six says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they'll be filled. We looked at that. Let me define righteousness for you. Righteousness is a legal word. Pause. Y'all doing okay? Can you, can you handle a couple more minutes? Or have I lost you? Online? You with me? Good, gotcha. This is, righteousness is not a theological word. It's a legal term. We're saying seek the righteousness. He's saying seek the legal pursuit of how I've set up my governmental system. When you seek that, this is what you're seeking. You're seeking right positioning with the king. You're seeking to be in alignment with authority, to be in right standing with authority, to be in fellowship with that kingly authority, to have right relationship, to have legal, lawful alignment with the king, to have correct standing with the principles, laws, and regulations of this form of government. Everyone in this room understands the word righteousness apart from scripture. I'll show you. Righteousness is what's legal. It's the laws of the land. When you travel the speed limit and obey the speed limit, you are walking righteously in the laws of the land. And when you, when you, some of you are like, uh oh, what's next? You've already, you've already done the math. When you exceed and disobey the laws of the land, you are walking in unrighteousness. That's why when you travel above the speed limit, you look better. You're watching and looking behind bridges. You're looking at medians. You're looking at overpasses. You're looking at berms. You're looking at where, 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 where we got going. What do we got going? I'm going 83 and a 65. What do we got going? What do we got going? What do you know? You've walked in unrighteousness. You're legally out of alignment. 
right? You're not seeking the righteousness of the land. But the moment you conform and align, then you're in the good graces of the law, right? So, spiritually speaking, righteousness is the acceptance that what God has said in his word is true and is the final authority in your life. And the moment that you walk out of step with that, you are not seeking righteousness, you're seeking something else. And you stepped outside of the scope of the kingdom of God and you need to run back into the kingdom and get back to seeking righteousness as soon as you possibly can. That's why it's not good to harbor ill will against someone because you're operating outside of the laws of the kingdom. Bitterness, resentment get in. That's why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath because while you're in that heightened space of emotion, how I feel, you're functioning in a different kingdom. Get back to the, am I saying you're never allowed to be angry? Absolutely not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when you let it fester, it is spiritual infection with pus forming that has to be dealt with. The kingdom places us in citizenship, righteousness places us in relationship. That's why your Bible says the prayers of the righteous, prayers of the righteous man are effective. Matthew chapter five, verse 10, as I finish. Seeking righteousness. There are some implications to seeking righteousness, to seeking God's highest and best. And as I said, I have to take some time next week and discuss the kingdom with you and the kingdom principles. Matthew 5.10 says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's the word righteous again. You seek his kingdom and you seek righteousness, and all that you have need of will be added to you. But as soon as you make the decision to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to seek righteousness, <laughs> Jesus said something else is attached to righteousness and it's persecution. When you decide to, let me say it to you this way, when you decide to prioritize righteousness, you will instantaneously create enemies. Because what you've done is you've stepped into the stream and decided to walk against it. Because the, principle, the principles of the kingdom are, are uphill, upstream. You're the salmon swimming up the water. There is, what happens when you step into that water? The moment you step into righteousness, immediately comes resistance. That, that's the default position. There's nothing wrong with you. You've just tapped into a kingdom principle of I'm going to walk the right way and so opposition is the natural response because the spirit of this age and the spirit of this world are going this way and you've said I'm going to step into the principle of the kingdom and walk this way, this is what I'm going to seek and God said it, that's what matters, that's what I'm going to speak and so many of us have backed off of our belief system because the world around us has told us we need to be woke, we need to be sensitive, we need to be, all of these, we need to be deconstructing, we need to be doing all of these things that may not align with kingdom principles. 
Now certainly there'll be some things that rattle your spiritual cage and then shift your theology, but they ought to come out of this book, not off of popular culture getting you to back down because they're tired of being convicted by the righteousness of the kingdom principles and tired of hearing you say what's in their best interest because they're giving into the God of this age of pleasure that just wants to lean into what they feel. Let's not be a people who do that. Now let's not dishonor, let's not be insensitive, but let's not be moved. Let's, let's walk the principles of righteousness that are attached to the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Persecution is the natural opposition to your obedience. That's what happens. And many of you, you have experienced it in some shape, form, or fashion. There are levels of it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be someone wanting to harm you or kill you or um, in that way. It's you've made a decision that you believe is right in your heart, and people come against that. They, they try to wear you down and beat you down to get you to change, and that will work if you give up on your pursuit of righteousness. Because if it becomes your ways against theirs, your ideas against theirs, you lose that. that, that's not a win. Yeah. 